Chapter 15. Believing and belonging. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting when she gave examples on that is what God used to do in the commercial community, but it's more like that's what the kingdom is, and the kingdom is uh, all those types of things. Yep. Like they're already in there, so they can just kind of take the lead. Yeah. I will. Let me not. I'm not going to answer. I'm going to ask a question in return, not to you, but to the group. What do you think? How would you define the church? And secondly. What is the church good for? That would be my question in return. What is the church, and what is the church good for? I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but I do, um, I think part of the reason why there's a little, maybe a little rub sometimes, and I'm not just talking in this room, I'm talking church, St. John, Big C Church even, I'm talking outside the Missouri Synod, is folks don't always agree on what the church is or what the church is good for. So if you had to tell me, What's the church and what's the church good for? What would you say? This may be part of the problem. <laughs> We've never thought about it, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh-oh. What page are you on? Okay. Yeah. Read, read, read what you're looking at. Hmm. Right. Okay. So how would you def so so that's your definition that would be your definition of the church well, it's a start. It is a start anyone else what is the church and what is it good for Yeah. And what is the energy what is the energizing push you towards? What is it what is it Okay, this is fascinating. I was just thinking this morning that in the in the small catechism in the third article you know it always the way that the way the catechism lays it out it says the father is the creator. What's his primary task? Creator. What's the son's redeemer? What's the Holy Spirit? Sanctifier. But nowhere in that definition does it ever talk about being pushed out towards good works. It's very interesting. We talk about the creed. We talk about creator, redeemer, sanctifier. We describe who the Holy Spirit is. And never once does it say, but he pushes you out to do some good. D so I just, I take the point. The church is energized to do some good, but we've normally not talked about it that way. And I wonder why. 
Yeah. 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 Could be. It could be. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I think it's maybe a very simple definition, and just see how this how this sits with you. I think a very simple definition is the church is Christ in the world. You remember from Romans six, you're baptized into Christ. Here's Christ. You're baptized into His body. Do you not do you not know you've been baptized into Christ? You've been baptized. You've been buried with Him. You've been raised with Him. You're baptized into his body. And so St. Paul can say, we are the body of Christ. Meaning, it's not your body, it's Christ's body. So you're baptized into the body of Christ. And the church then is Christ in the world. All that that entails. That entails things like community. That entails things like giving your children good gifts. That entails forgiveness. Everything you can find within Jesus, you should be able to find within the church. Because the church is Jesus in the world. So what's the church good for? Go ahead. What were you going to say? I would say the same thing. What's the church good for? Now, you might call it mission, but I would say mission simply is churching the world. Churching the world. Taking the church to the world. Did I steal that from you? Not that I recall. That's exactly right. So the church is, what is it? Christ in the world. What's it good for? Churching the world. Taking Christ to the world. Okay? And that's the whole point of this book. The whole point is, you and Jesus are one and the same. Uh, and he, he, it was great, he actually said this a few times in this chapter. And I don't remember if he said it before. But kind of over and over, we've said, Gosh, isn't it great? The Lord has all these means of grace, ways in which he delivers his gifts to creation. His word, he speaks to you. His sacraments, he touches you. And guess what? You and I are a means of grace as well. It's a way in which the Lord engages creation. Okay? I mean, the whole purpose of his incarnation is to put wrongs to right. And he, put wrongs, he puts wrongs to right through you. The church is Christ in the world. The church is good for, what's the church good for? Churching the world or Christing the world. How does that happen? Through folks who are caught up in his body, through you. Okay? That makes sense? Everyone tracking? Everyone okay with that? Yeah, go ahead. 
Oh, good. I used that in my homily for Thursday morning yesterday. I don't think anyone in the room knew what I meant. But it was still fun. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at Bruzek, who's got his arms swinging in the back right now. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm anticipating the response. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I look at Bruzek, and he's ready to go. Go ahead. I defer to the bishop. What were you going to say? Don't swear. We've got a mic on.
This is great. You know, I, I preached at an all-African-American congregation one time in the Bronx in New York. Here people say, I can't believe he said that. And there they said, amen. Oh, they said, I bet you they said amen 15 times. And that was not a very long sermon. Then he said, he said, it's time to share the peace. I said, peace be with you. He goes, no, no, no. We share it with every person in the congregation. The peace took longer than my homily. It was great. It's all about, look at page 208. Very last paragraph. Middle of the paragraph. This realization is what we call repentance. A serious turning away from patterns of life which deface and distort our genuine humanness. Okay? This is, this is utterly sacramental, what we're talking about. Okay? And what you're talking about, what you're trying to get after is utterly sacramental. You know why? Page 208, last paragraph. It's all about the touch. All we're trying, this is, this is all about engaging people in a fleshly, concrete, tangible reality. That's why when Holly asked last week, I've got all these friends who, uh, you know, who don't quite know why I go to church, what am I supposed to do? The answer is be normal. The deacon has just got her review from me. Scary, believe me. She wrote more about me than I wrote about her, which tells you a little something. Um, she said, I didn't think I was supposed to write this much. I said, well, I used to think that too. But um, I, I said, they said, what's, her, what's one of her greatest attributes as a deaconess? You know what my answer was? <laughs> Don't say, oh, no. I said, she is utterly normal. Okay? But that's the thing. She is utterly normal, which means she can engage people in real time and have a normal conversation with people. That's what N.T. Wright is pushing toward, not something artificial, I mean, all the stuff about the eschaton is coming, he's got the bulldozer, that's all artificial. What he's saying is engage creation with a physical touch. Touch people. That's why I said, what's the church? Christ in the world. Guess what? He has a body and you're it. This is utterly sacramental. Because it's all about flesh to flesh, word to ear, you know, hands to acts of service. This is... This should be, I would think, this is like right in, right in your wheelhouse. I think this would just be very, I know. It's a new way of thinking. Yep. Whoa.
But here's the thing. You can have all of that. What The way they perceive you, they perceive you, I would guess, I don't know them, but this is how pe many people perceive Christians, as some sort of subhuman, robotic, almost puppet-like creature where you just say, I'm forgiven, isn't it great? I'm forgiven, isn't it great? This is a very different way of thinking. He doesn't, when the Lord forgives you, or he justifies you, or he saves you, he doesn't make you just somehow his robot or his puppet. He makes you truly, he makes you who you were intended by the Father to be. He says here, genuine humanness. Wingren, who's a Lutheran theologian, says, he lets men be men. He lets women be women. Everything you can imagine that Adam and Eve were, that's who he's created you to be. And that's what he's bringing you back towards. And you can have that. You know, who is it that says you have your best life now? Joel Osteen? You can have your best flipping life now. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh, this isn't going on. You can have it now. And it's not artificial. It's in the flesh. So you can do stuff like that. So once you've been, once you've been redeemed, once you've been saved, once you've been made truly who you were intended by the Father to be, then go green and save kids in Africa and go here and do this and go here and do some that. That's all within your realm of possibility because he just pushes you out and says, have some fun, right? And think through it. Don't, well, never mind. That's another rant. Go ahead.
Oh man, Lutheranism. Uh, <laughs> Nothing. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. That pretty much sums it up. I, I'm just. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna actually make a joke, but uh, you're gonna say, no. I'm just. <laughs> well, now it's dead. Now that I've said it. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm just. I'm just amazed how the tables have turned. How long has it been since I talked about my wife? Months. And you know why? <laughs> because one very insightful person in the crowd said, you really shouldn't talk about your wife like that. And then I remember someone who was older and wiser saying, you really shouldn't talk about your wife like that. And now, <laughs> who's not talking about their wife? <laughs> what are you going to do? Only in the way of the gospel, though. Yeah. That, I'm an idiot. That's what I said. I'm an idiot. What's that? Have you seen that? Have you seen that commercial where the woman says, "We're getting a new cell phone," or "Getting a new"? And he said, what, what is that? "What's it called?" No, 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 not that one. Not that one. This is the one where it's the two old couples, and he says, "I loved you," or "I love you," and this time I mean it. <laughs> it's a great line. Oh, that pretty much sums up my relationship. Okay. Well, one out of seven ain't bad. All right. What else? She'll hit us. I mean, not literally. And the problem we've taught, and someone, someone once said, uh, the problem with the church, and this is not just our church, but kind of Lutheranism in general, is we've got a lot of pietists. And the problem with pietism is it puts standards on how you needed to live within the world. So you can't do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you can't do this. This is you shouldn't take any of this in the way of pietism, as in we're trying to tell you how to live. It's very simple. You and Jesus are one and the same. You're free to live however you would like as long as it doesn't stand in the way of the gospel. Do whatever you want. 
I mean, this is, this is like, this should be, and that's utter obedience too, but it should come as utter freedom. You can do whatever you want. You want to help a leper make a scarf, help a leper. You want to go to Muldoon's and have a beer, go and have a beer. You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't stand in the way of the gospel. The Christian life is very simple. You and Jesus are one and the same. Now do what he does. And as long as you're not detracting from what he does or standing in the way of the gospel, you're free to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> you had the last word. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I got you. I'm just But I wonder if you if you begin thinking that way for a year or two, if that'll change and become not something that, that binds you up, but an invitation to a richer life. Maybe it is right now. But but there is there is always the I mean part of it is when when we hear something new, it's sometimes it's difficult to receive that in the way of the gospel. If it's new it must be well, it's just difficult to receive it in the way of the gospel. But I wonder if you do that for a year. Or if you say, every time I go to the Eucharist, Jesus puts himself inside of me concretely, completely. His divine nature. God himself. I said to the eighth grade, I said to the eighth grade, at the Eucharist, do you consume the Father and the Spirit? They look at me like this. I said, read Colossians 2.9. In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. If you eat Christ's body, you receive the entirety of the Godhead. Now, that changes the way you live and love and act. But I wonder if you think about that for a year or two. This is, I mean, here's what we've got to remember. Not that we haven't been talking about this, but this is the first time maybe we've looked at this in book form, and it takes a while to get used to that life. And it takes a long time to say, this is a gift, not a burden. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, at the time, I thought of that as a pure reformative reformative. Yes, right. Yep, yep. And so he did have that and mentored lots of people on that mission. And um, and I and I said, um, you know, what about the Eucharist? Yeah. Always there. Yeah. And he thought, and I said, that's good. It's a good thing to do. Because I'm thinking about my own life.
That's right. Yeah. Someone, someone, uh, someone gave, someone gave, someone gave us this picture. Have you ever seen this picture where Jesus is like looking like this? He's not quite looking. It's a very famous one. It was down at Wheaton College. Shane, you've seen it. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> you didn't give it to us. No, no, no. She didn't give it to us, but she's seen it. She's seen it. <laughs> yeah. This picture, it's a very famous one where Jesus is kind of looking like this and he's not looking at you. And people love it. We got it from a family member who said, this has been in our family for 62 years. And I'm thinking, well, there's a great, there's a great problem with it because Jesus isn't looking at you. Look at an icon. Sometimes you actually can't get out of eye shot from Jesus. If you're looking at an icon, you can be over here. Isn't that true, Carol? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay, well, that's another analogy. Uh, but you can stand here, you can stand there, and Jesus is always looking at you. So we put this, well, my lovely wife put it up in Emma's room because she was trying to be faithful to this family member who gave it to us, along with she's got a crucifix and there's an, there's an icon. You know, her middle name is Mary, so there's an icon of Mary holding Jesus. And, um, and one, one morning I said, I said, to Emma, do you like that picture? Oh, no. <laughs> of course, I'm thinking, way to go, Dad. And I said, do you like the crucifix? She said, yes. I said, why? He looks at me. <laughs> I think little, well, from the mouth of babes, I think kids get it. Because she, in fact, we've taught her. Well, I shouldn't say we, Abby's taught her. If you wake up and you're scared, there's Jesus. It's all okay going to be okay and she's she's been trained this way not in a not in a pietistic way not in a roman catholic like adoration sort of way she's just been taught to wake up and there's jesus it's all okay and every day is like that it begins with jesus i mean in in a little kid's life jesus does all the verbs which is why jesus says be like a little child right i mean kids can't move themselves jesus moves them your parents move them it's the same thing with you you can't move yourself if you move yourself you're going the wrong way but Jesus does it. And so then St. Paul says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. Then I grew up, but again, people will treat me like a child. They'll carry me around, they'll move me around. That's the normal rhythm of the Christian life. And spiritual maturity is getting to the point where you're like a child again. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, it, de it detaches what he's done from who you are. It puts his event of doing something good for you 2,000 years ago, when the Eucharist is precisely the opposite. He takes 2,000 years ago and makes it Transfiguration Sunday. It is Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So it's all, and you're beginning to see a theme here. It's all about the sacraments. It's all about being in contact with Jesus. It's all about his touch. And then he pushes you out to have a hand on others. Okay? What else? That back corner okay? Oh, 
Okay, all right. All right. Look at page 208. You were just, uh, Yeah, look at page. Yeah, look at page two eight, the very last paragraph, going to page two o nine. This could be, this could be one of the best paragraphs he has. There are a few, a few great ones in here. Um, you know, he says genuine humanness, right? It isn't just a matter of feeling sorry for particular failings, though the, that will often be true as well. It is the recognition that the living God. Now, page two o nine made us humans to reflect his image into the world and that we haven't done so. That's sin. The technical term for this is sin, whose primary meaning is not breaking the rules but missing the mark, failing to hit the target of complete, genuine, glorious humanness. See, here's what people don't understand. When you sin, you are less than human. You are less than human. People, people do particular sins because they think it makes them more human. You're actually subhuman when you sin. And forgiveness is restoring you to humanity. Okay? Flesh and blood, that's good stuff. Don't be afraid of it. Once again, the gospel itself, the very message which announces that Jesus is Lord and calls us to obedience, contains the remedy. Forgiveness, unearned and freely given because of his cross, all we can say is thank you. Amen. And then he starts, to believe, to love, to obey. Faith of this kind is the mark of the Christian. To believe, to love, and obey. And faith there, I just read a great article by, by Nagel, actually. It was well, somebody quoted in an interview with Nagel. The guy said to him, Dr. Nagel, will you please talk about faith? He responded, no. They said, well, please tell us something about faith. No, I will not. <laughs> you can imagine this, right? They said, well, what will you talk about? I'll talk about Jesus, because Jesus is faith, and faith is Jesus. This is the whole reason on Sunday morning we've talked about the subjective genitive, the faith of Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so he says here, to believe, to love, to obey. It should say, not faith of this kind. Jesus of this kind is the mark of the Christian. Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he himself isn't willing to do. Jesus believes, Jesus loves, and Jesus obeys, and he invites you. This is not in the way of the law. He invites you to come and to do as he does. Okay? It's like getting an invitation to someone's house. Come to our place. Have some fun. Be a human being. Okay? You got anything else, man? Well, I got a lot. I mean, I can keep talking. That's not, a, that's not the issue. But what else? You got anything else? Jump out at you? Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Where does he say that? Okay. Oh, yes, right. Yeah. Well, I think what he's trying to say is that some people, um, 
Some people are drawn by Jesus. Let Jesus do the verb. So I wouldn't say some people come to faith. Some people are drawn by Jesus very quickly. That's like waking up, boom, right away. He used the example of Wesley. His heart was strangely warmed. Do you know what he's reading when his heart was strangely warmed? Luther. <laughs> Great. He became a Methodist. Well, what are you going to do? It's like in, um, what's the movie with Will Smith where he's the dating expert? Hitch. He says, you go 90, I go 10. You've seen this part, right, where the two guys end up, end up kissing? Okay, well, it's not going to be funny. No one's seen it. You've seen it, yeah. You go 90, I go 10. Well, then he went all the way, and he said, whoa, 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 you go 90, I go 10. It's a bit like Wesley. You know, he went 90. Well, no, that falls apart. Okay. This is a rough crowd. When you're down here, the humor level just drops. I can't quite figure it out. I know, I know. No, I don't think it's you. I'm just saying when you're down here. People are a little constrained. They're a little nervous when you're back there. So I think he says some people come to it very quickly or drawn very quickly, and some people are not. What you should be hearing here is the catechumenate. What we've learned with the catechumenate is, if you can hear this in the way of the gospel, the catechumenate is very good at sorting people out um, because there's such rigor, but it's in the rigor that Christians are made. So we have had a couple people say, ah, oh, that just isn't for me. It's too long, to which we've said, great, we're very happy you came along, uh, and we're happy you figured out this wasn't for you, and the catechumenate did its job. And those are people that take longer to come along. Now, we hope they all come along eventually, uh, but some people just take more time to be drawn into the normal rhythm of the Christian life. So you should be hearing those overtones as you read this. Now, he does talk about um, making sense of it. Look at page 207. First paragraph, middle of the way. I mean the kind of sense that exists within the strange new world which we glimpse, even if only for a moment, in the way we glimpse a whole new world when we stand in awe in front of a great painting, or are swept off our feet by a song or a symphony. How many of you have had this experience? Maybe with art or with music or with whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can remember um, when I was in Edinburgh in October, the, the National Gallery is there. And they have this very famous, and I can't remember who painted them, this very famous set of paintings of the seven sacraments. Now, don't worry about the number seven. The point is, these had a way of drawing you in. And I suddenly, as I looked at these paintings, had a deeper understanding of what the ministry was all about. As you watch the priest do his thing in these seven paintings, how he's on the deathbed of someone, and he's, everyone is in chaos, and he takes control of the room. Or there's a little kid coming holding a candle at the Easter Vigil. This is from the Middle Ages, from the Easter Vigil, waiting to be confirmed by him. This little kid, I mean, childlike faith. I don't know what you're going to do to me. He leans over and touches the child. So I had, I had one of these experiences where I couldn't make sense of it, I couldn't, but I couldn't stand there. I couldn't get enough of it. I could have been there for hours. And that's what the Christian life is like when it draws you in. It doesn't mean make sense of it as in you get it all. We don't expect you to get it all. But we expect you to see it and say, I can't imagine anything else. And I think he even says, it's like falling in love, not like calculating a bank account. Yeah.
Yeah, it's in thinking about the first few weeks of this, we talked about echoes of a voice, and one of those echoes was justice. And it's been striking to realize that even though those are echoes, so everyone at, at some point in their life knows they have a longing for justice. But what's very strange is to see how folks have a longing for justice, but not always justice in the way of Jesus. So take, for instance, you're praying for Bill, right? What you want to pray for is something dramatically different than what you should be praying for. This happens all the time. Um, well, justice our way is not always justice Jesus' way. Justice the Jesus way is very humbling, which is part of the reason. It's funny you brought this up. It's part of the reason why I read Psalm 4 this morning. Because um, he says, this is great, however angry your hearts do not do wrong, Though you lie abed resentful, do not break silence. Pay your due of sacrifice and trust in the Lord. He goes on to say, yet in my heart thou hast put more happiness than they enjoyed when there was corn and wine in plenty. Now I will lie down and sleep in peace, for thou alone, O, o Lord, makes me live unafraid. Okay. Yes, that's the psalm I read this morning. Psalm 4. Now the reason is, that's justice the Jesus way. The Lord's going to sort it all out. And it happens with, um, well, it happens with Bill, and it happens with all your other enemies. It's very easy to say, I know how to sort this out. Part of the Christian life, and part of what Jesus is pushing us towards in this book, is to love people the way they need to be loved, to pray for people, to love those who hate you, uh, to do good to those who hate you and to not let people know you're doing it. This is Ash Wednesday. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the whole time, trust that the Lord has more good things in store for you, and at the end of days, he's going to sort it all out. But that is, that's like your initial question about how can I live as a Christian. It's very difficult to imagine living as one flesh with Jesus. It's the same thing. It's very difficult to go home and imagine praying for those who hate you. Because that's what Jesus does. Right. And suddenly, that's a glimpse of justice the Jesus way. That's what N.T. Wright is pushing you towards. It completely rearranges your life. Because that's, that's not the way Christians have always lived. It's the way God intended them to live. But this is like, this is seeing the world in a whole new way. As opportunity. So, a good theologian once said, universalism isn't the greatest heresy ever. <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense. If you don't believe, if you don't have the hope that all people be saved, it's very difficult to say that you're a Christian. Even those who hate you. Okay. That's fun. Very difficult. I mean, it's almost, um, you can't do it unless you and Jesus are one of the same because you can't do it. Yeah.
Yeah. No, that's that's um, that's completely okay. In fact, um, if you look if you look in various resources, you'll see many prayers like that. So you're not alone. The church has always prayed that way. Just that that the Holy Spirit gets after people. Yeah, that He does His job. Be the yeah, it would be the same thing. I mean, you wanna you wanna of course order your prayers, you know most efficiently. So you'd want to say something like, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, who desires that all men be saved. Right? He's a father. He wants his children back. What has he done? He desires all men to be saved. You know, let your, let your word, let your sacraments have free course that all people come to know your son and rejoice in his gifts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's perfectly okay. That's what the Lord wants. If he desires it, you should desire it as well. And your prayer should be uh, that the Lord does the verbs <laughs> and doesn't get any pushback. Um, look at, gosh, there's a lot in this. <clears throat> I hope you're at least getting the idea that the new creation, and this is what you kind of led with, Rebecca, is not something that we're looking forward to. The new creation is now. It's now. So it's not, we're not saying someday there'll be an Eden again. There will be. But Eden is already breaking onto the scene now. And what the Lord is trying to do is to create an Eden <laughs> in this world as it stands. Because the new creation is located in the flesh of Jesus. He says here on page 206, but the new creation has already begun with the resurrection of Jesus. That's part of the reason why Jesus rises on the eighth day. If he would have rose from the dead on the first day, he would have disowned his last creation and said, I'm starting over from scratch. But instead, he rises on the eighth day. He says, I'm going to take this old broken creation, and in my suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, I'm making this creation new. So if you have Jesus, you have the dawning of the new creation. If you have Jesus, the new creation is coming. Okay. So you are a bearer of the new creation, of Eden, of true hum humanity. So don't, this is, we're not hoping for something down the road. We're hoping for something right now. Like for real. The Eucharist is Eden plus. It is better at the Eucharist than it was in Eden. You get, or, or as the church father said, you gained more in Jesus than you lost in Adam.
He's, hey, he's going to be in Wheaton next year. We'll ask him. We'll ask him for royalties on this bad boy.
Whoa, not a bad idea. There, are they vacant right now? Looking at that call list. Starbucks, yeah, there you go. This is so good, man. Well, here, here's, uh, well, tribal. Lepers. Did that leper listen or talk? No, I'm kidding. Joke. This is good. No, I think, I think the important, I think the important point, you remember when this gets back to what Pastor Bruzik just said about there's relationship before there's the tree. Remember, he creates Adam and Eve, and then he says you can have all of this. So the priorities were right. The priority is the relationship between God and man. And then everything else you can have in the way of the gospel. Look at page 211. I think he sets up here what the congregation should look like, properly ordered. Okay. What are the most important things, or most important thing? Page 211, the paragraph begins worship. Worship, fellowship, and the work of reflecting God's kingdom into the world flow into and out of one another. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, we get together as small groups, but we don't have the liturgy. Or we have the liturgy, but we don't care for each other as fellowship. Or we don't do any work. You can't say that and still be a Christological community. You can't reflect God's image without returning to worship to keep the reflection fresh and authentic. In the same way, worship sustains and nourishes fellowship. Without it, fellowship quickly deteriorates into groups of the like-minded, which in turn quickly becomes exclusive cliques, the very opposite of what Jesus' people should be aiming at. So what's the most important thing? The most important thing is the divine service. Why is that the most important thing? Because in the very first moment, Jesus comes again to be in contact with his people. Just as he was with Adam, he takes his own hand and forms Adam. It's the same thing at the invocation. He takes his own hand and he touches people. Hey, you got sinned. It's okay. Wipe them all clean. Now let's go. I'm coming. Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie. Glory to God in the highest. I'm going to speak to you now, so listen. I've got a little sermon. It won't be too long. Joke. Okay? I'm going to move you, just like at Emmaus. He opens the scriptures to his people. And then he says, come to the table. I've got a meal prepared for you. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hands. On the night when he was betrayed, he takes bread. The divine service, the liturgy, is everything. That is Eden all over again. And you can have anything you want after that, as long as that's the source and foundation of everything. It's all about the liturgy. It's all about the divine service. If you want to meet in small groups after that, great, as long as it begins with the liturgy. The problem with what you've just described, your country club church, it doesn't begin there. Beginning at the liturgy is like beginning with God and Adam in the garden. Then you can go and enjoy the fruits of the trees. Is there a difference? Huh. 
John 3. Well, that's exactly right. Is there, is there a difference? No, no, she was, no, she was thinking about the proper preface for, for Holy Week. By the tree, they were once overcome. Once overcome by the tree of the cross. What does it say? He's now overcome by the tree of the cross. Oh, I'm sorry. Give me a hymnal. Yes, exactly. The tree of life is the cross. tree of the life and garden in the garden is the cross. Here's the, here's the proper preface. Who on the tree of the cross you gave salvation to mankind, that whence death arose, thence life also might rise again. That's Eden. And that he who by a tree once overcame, likewise by a tree of the cross, might be overcome. This is great. <laughs> this is so easy. <laughs> this is normal words. Whence, tree, cross, overcome. That's how you talk, right? <laughs> I'll read it slowly and prayerfully. This is it right here. This is why you can't just, sorry, go ahead, Bishop. No, words matter. Here we go. It is truly good, right, and salutary. Okay, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God. On the tree of the cross you gave salvation to mankind, that whence death arose, thence life also might rise again, and that he who by a tree once overcame, devil, <laughs> she's looking at me funny right now, likewise by a tree might be overcome. Who overcomes by a tree? The devil. By a tree, he might likewise be overcome. This is the, the tree of the garden. This is, this is the truth. Luther says Adam is the priest. You know what the great sin in the garden is? Adam's the pastor. It's not Eve, although in a women's Bible study. Oh, yeah. In the garden. Who just mocked me like that? Who was that? Was that you? <laughs> Leslie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Dad. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> in the garden. Yeah, right. In the garden. In the garden, Adam is given to do two things, to tend and to keep. Do you remember this? Genesis 1. Tend and keep. The garden. Priests in the Old Testament are given to do two things. Guess what they are? Tend and keep. Yes, meaning Adam is a priest. He's a pastor. And the great sin in the garden is not that Eve took a bite. It's that Adam as pastor didn't say, you shouldn't do that. Yes, right. You're not a member here. You can't have the Eucharist. <laughs> so all, so here, but here's the point. Here's the point. The point is Adam wasn't a faithful pastor. Being a faithful pastor means you tell people, don't walk there. That's going to kill you. What did Adam not do? He didn't tell Eve, don't walk there, it's going to kill you. Don't eat that fruit. So when you say, you can't tell me what to do, you should just remember the garden. That didn't go so well, and Adam didn't tell him what to do. But 
Satan overcame by the tree of the garden, Jesus overcomes by the tree of the cross. Okay? Got that? You know what, for you, we're going we're gonna to clarify come Lent. We're going to give the, the, this is creative worship. Kirby brews that creative worship. Yeah. For Kirby, we'll, here's what I'll do. I'll write a nice little margin comment, and I'll say, for Kirby. What this means is, <laughs> a visual. And then, and then, and then as Bruzek, now I'm surprised you went to John 3 right away. As he said, you remember in Numbers 21, they all say, how did you give us this miserable food? Now, remember, they haven't eaten for days. Moses gets some food, and they say, why did you give us such miserable food? Right? What happens? The snakes come out. They start biting. Moses says, Lord, what the, am I supposed to do? What does the Lord say? Put a snake on a pole and lift it up. So he fixes the problem with the problem. The problem is the snakes. How does he fix the problem? Snakes. And then, <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> and then in John 3, he says, just as a snake was lifted up on the pole, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. He fixes the problem with the problem. What's the problem? Sin. How does he fix the problem? He became sin for us. See how it all goes together? Yeah. How does he fix it? See, this is just like, see how beautiful this is when you finally? All right. Numbers 21. Numbers 21. Numbers 21. No, not page 21. We're going back to the beginning now. <laughs> All right, look at page 215. We'll wrap up with this. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, look at The rest of the group is like, is there, it's like, hey, go out and have a cigarette. The rest of the group says, come on, go have a cigarette. You're like, no, 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 it's probably best. Come on, have a cigarette. Come on, ask the question. Okay, all right. Nothing good happens by force. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, there's, it's a mark of spiritual maturity to know when you shouldn't ask. Page 215. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Page 215. In baptism... You are brought into that story, this is great, to become an actor in the play which God is writing and producing. And once you're on stage, you're part of the action. You can get the lines wrong. You can do your best to spoil the play. But the story is moving forward. And it would be far better to understand where it's going and how to learn your lines and join the drama. Through the water to become part of God's purpose for the world. Now, you notice he, he uses two ways in which you can screw up the play. You can forget your lines by accident. You screw up. Every good work is a sinful work. Or you can try to spoil the play. You can actively participate in trying to destroy what Jesus is doing. But guess what? The drama's moving on. The story's going. And people who think they're powerful enough to destroy the story don't know what's coming. Yes, it is. We come roundabout. Nelson, what do you think about this, man? <laughs> All right, so it's moving. You can either jump on and have some fun. Yeah, you might screw it up, or you can say, I'm going to try to spoil it, but it's still going. The new creation will come. 
in its fullness. Okay? You can be a part of that, or you can't, but it's coming. Can't stop it. Only hope to contain it. Sports Center reference. I know that's a little outside your milieu, but uh, Sports Center reference. ESPN. Uh, any questions? Any final questions? You liked it, huh? You know why? Because here, it's all about you. Boy, is there a difference? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> all right, chapter 16, read it for next. And then there's, I think there's a, is there a conclusion at the very end? All right. Well, read chapter 16, okay? Yeah, I think it is, I think it is a little lengthier. All right, let's, yes, yep, 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 go ahead. Frank Sen. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you know what I was going to say? I'll defer to the bishop. I know what I do, but I don't want to speak out. Yeah.
<laughs> and he is a great pastor. I mean, there, there's not a better place to go there. So, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Do we have school? Well, we're tough. Gosh. We'll still we'll meet next Friday, won't we? If we have school, we'll meet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.